Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. That it's even in, in moments like this, Lord, that you see us, even when we're not at our best, you call us out. Lord, I pray for every person that just is a little bummed, a little disappointed, a little tired. Lord, we pray the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, you said that you were gonna come and baptize us in the Holy Spirit and the fire of God. So we just call out, Lord, for your presence this morning. Would you make us burn for you where we can't make ourselves burn? give somebody a hug as you sit down. Whatever hug is appropriate in length, considering the person that you're hugging. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Anybody doing all right? Good. All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles this morning. Thank you, worship team. Y'all are the best. I always got to get up here and kick stuff around a little bit. Pull out your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, um, especially if you don't own one, we want to give one to you. So our host team is handing them out. So if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, if you want a Bible, you don't have one. If that's nobody, that's great. Uh, but you can have a Bible today for free if you want one. And uh, if you're a kid in here and you want help sticking... Uh, staying close to what's going on, raise your hand too. We've got something to help you take notes. So if you want something handed to you for free, just go ahead and raise your hand. Our host team will get to you. Um, Perfect, perfect, perfect. Let's be honest. Is anybody just like having a good day? Like you don't have to be having a good day, but anybody just like, yeah, I'm doing good. That's awesome. That's a pretty high percentage. That's good. That's good. Go ahead and uh, when you get a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. And I got up here not prepared with my pages ready and stuff. So I'm turning to Mark chapter five. If you have my Bible, it's page 840. If you need help. That was a joke. All right. It's going it's to be that way. All right. It's going to be like that. I understand. If you are new with us or if you haven't been uh, with us, you know, a majority of the last four weeks. Anybody been here all four weeks? Every weekend of existence? Of the, wow, the faithful few. Way to go. Uh, we believe that church is a participation sport, so uh, just because the music stopped doesn't mean that your participation ends. So uh, if something is being said, if God's doing something in you, feel free to shout it down. Amen. Yes, Lord. My girlfriend needs that. Anybody, just point somebody out who needs it. Don't do that. You'll get in big trouble later if you call out your girlfriend like that. Don't do that. Mark chapter 5, anybody there? Yeah. A few people there. All right, we uh, are in a series as a church, we're calling it This Changes Everything. And this series is kind of birthed out of this, this thought, maybe even more than a thought, but a realization um, that, that I had and I think that we, can, we, all have, we all have at one moment or another where um, when I started deciding to really follow Jesus when I was in college, I'd grown up in church and read the Bible and all of that kind of stuff. But in college, I kind of came to the end of my road and I realized I, I need to either uh, be all in or all out with this. I'm gonna, so I'm going to follow Jesus. And I started reading this Bible kind of with new eyes for, uh, for the first time and started reading some things in this Bible and I realized, wow, if this is true, um, this is, changes everything. 
This is way more than, it, this gives us way more than maybe, um, uh, you know, arguably a higher moral code to live by, or this gives us way more than um, an obligatory Sunday morning activity. If this book really is the word of God, if Jesus really is who this book says that he is, and if you are really who God says that you are, this changes absolutely everything. This changes everything. And our prayer through this series is that we would get a good look at Jesus. And that wherever we need to change, that we would allow uh, the Spirit of God to change us in a powerful way because he changes everything. And how many of you know the world needs a little bit of change for the glory of God? Amen. 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 So Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. So we're in part 4 of uh, This Changes Everything. I'm going to give you a title here in just a second, but we're going to read a whole big chunk of verses this morning. Is that all right with you? We're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to end in verse 43. So that's like 22 verses. And uh, that's a lot, but it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So we're going to believe for the Holy Spirit to speak. Anybody ready to hear from God? All right, read along with me, and uh, let's uh, just stay engaged the whole time. This uh, fascinating story, uh, kind of a combination of two stories that we're going to read. And if you've been in church before, you've probably heard uh, these stories quite a few times. But the thing about the Word of God being living and active, it means no matter how many times you read it, there's always something for you. Amen? Touch a neighbor and say, there's something for you this morning. There you go. <laughs> All right, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to pick up a story here and read together. It says here in verse 21, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Story starts off, Jesus is back in town, and everybody wants to see him. Verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. An amazing a moment here early on in the story. We meet a man named Jarius. He's a very prominent man, a ruler of the synagogue. It means that he has a lot of status both politically and religiously. People would know who this guy is. So for him to come and fall on the ground in front of a crowd, in front of a man that some people don't even know what to think of, the, of Jesus, it's, a, it's an incredibly humbling act for Jairus to do. This is an intense moment. He says, my daughter's dying. I need help. I've got a little girl. I can't imagine the intensity of a moment for Jairus to say this. So what's Jesus going to do? Verse 24, it says, and Jesus, of course, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Everybody else wanted to see, huh, what's about to happen? This is interesting. So Jesus, Jairus, and the crowd start heading towards Jairus' house. Verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. In verse 25 and 26, the story gets interrupted by some woman. We don't even get her name. Verse 27, she had heard reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Somebody say touched. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him. Immediately he turned about in the crowd. Somebody say, turned around. Jesus turned around and he said, who touched my garments? His disciples say to him, Jesus, there's a crowd they're all pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Come on, man, this is awkward. 
And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and she fell down before Jesus and she tells him the whole truth. And Jesus turns to this woman. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Somebody praise God. That is awesome. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, there came from Jairus' house a servant who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Let's just leave Jesus alone. This situation is too far gone. But overhearing what they said, Jesus turns to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He says, do not fear, only believe. Somebody shout, believe. believe. Come on. And he allowed... Jesus, and Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Can you imagine the scene? This little girl has just been pronounced dead after fighting some sort of sickness. Everybody knew that Jairus had run off into town to find the last hope, Jesus. And uh, Jesus and Jairus and Peter and James and John, they walk up on the scene with this little girl just been pronounced dead. So Jesus walks up, everybody's weeping and wailing, and he walks in with dad. Intense. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. I bet he rhymed like that on purpose. Because he spoke English and was white and blue eyes. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. You wanna know why they were immediately overcome with amazement? Because they just saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead, that's why, pretty, pretty sensible. Of course they were amazed, understatement of the millennia, I'm sure. Finally, verse 43, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. I don't know why he said that she was dead. Now she's alive. Everybody's about to know, but whatever. And told them to give her something to eat. Good job, guys. We made it. We made it. We made it. So we read a, a big chunk of verses. And, and like I said before, reading those verses, we're in this series called This Changes Everything. And uh, two weeks ago, if you were with us, we, uh, we, we preached a message called A Sound. And we talked about that when God wants to change everything, he releases a sound. We went through the Bible, different instances where God released a sound and it changed everything. And we said, life can be so full of white noise that lulls us to sleep, but we need to be diligent to listen for the sound of heaven, the voice of God. Because how many of you know when God speaks, he changes everything? Two weeks ago, we, we talked about a sound. Last week, uh, we, we talked about a guy named Peter, a good friend of Jesus, who uh, just couldn't quite seem to get a grasp on being who God was calling him to be. I know I've felt like that before. I don't know if you have too. Jesus is trying to tell Peter who he's made him to be, and Peter has his highs, he has his lows. We talked about, he's just got his dirty laundry. Like, I could never do my laundry growing up. I just couldn't do it. I tried, but I just couldn't do it. And Peter, had, Peter just couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. And we talked about how when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter heard that Jesus had risen from the dead and he ran to the tomb because he knew that if the tomb was empty, then Jesus was who Jesus said that Jesus was and that could change everything. But what, Jesus, or what Peter found was better than an empty tomb. There was no body in the tomb, but the grave clothes were in the tomb. And we talked about how we need to let what Jesus left in the grave stay in the grave. Can I get an amen? <laughs> 
Jesus had a message in the grave clothes. Everything that's wrapping you up, I came out of the grave, but I left that stuff in. So let's stop putting it back on. Amen? We talked about dirty laundry. And, and Peter, when, after he saw the grave clothes, he went off and he became the man that God had always called him to be. The man he could never figure out. Something about the sight of the grave clothes changed him because he realized I don't have to put on that old stuff anymore. And you don't either. We talked two weeks ago about a sound. Last week we talked about a sight. And this morning I want to talk to you on the subject of a touch. A touch. At the top of your notes you can put, this changes everything, a touch. Anybody ready for a touch? You don't know. Like, I don't know, what does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah, all right. A touch, a touch, because a touch can change everything. And I think we all, we all know this, that a touch can change everything. Growing up, uh, I mentioned this last week, but I am one of four kids. I have three sisters, one older and two younger. So I am both a little brother and a big brother. And as such, I grew up a professional antagonist. Absolutely uncanny ability to ruin my sister's day at a moment's notice. And just bring out the worst in them. You know, I don't know why that's a good thing. It probably isn't. It's probably sin, but hey, I was good at it. I was good at it. Good at antagonizing my sisters. And I knew that no matter how good my sisters were doing in a given moment, no matter how big their smile was, no matter how great their day was, no matter what was going on, I could wipe any smile off their face with a single touch. It just took a touch right here underneath the ribs, that tickle spot, y'all know, y'all have it right up in there. Just a little poke right there. And just these beautiful women turned into, stop, this guttural growls and the smile disappears. It just took a touch and it changed. I could change anything uh, to make it a bad situation, which for some reason as a brother, it's really fun to do that. I don't, I still don't know it, but I still do it as a grown man. So, oops, a touch can change everything. And you know, a single touch says a lot. You know, we've all had a hard day and somebody comes up and give us, gives us a hug. Maybe somebody tried to talk your ear off and you're just like, when are you going to stop talking? I don't know what I need. But somebody gives you a hug and you're like, that was it. That was that thing I needed right there. You know, a, a hug uh, can, can offer support. It can offer comfort. You're not alone. It's, it's amazing. Um, it, depending on the situation, a touch can really escalate things too. Um, you know, what I'm talking about. The words are, we're, we're, we're talking and everything's going good. We're kind of getting close to each other and everything's good, but then the touch kind of escalates things. So we just try to keep the hands to yourself in Antioch Kids. Amen? Amen. We can, a touch can change everything. And are there any married people in the room this morning? Let me see. Oh, come on. Praise God. That's a high percentage of married people. Now I just need, I'm not, all I'm going to say about this is I need a married man of God to say amen if you know a touch can change everything. Amen. Come on now. It's all right. You're married, so it's good. I made some of you uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's the will of the Lord. (laughs) We should move on from that. A touch. A touch is what we're talking about this morning. We, we just read a story in Mark chapter 5, and it starts off, like I mentioned at the beginning, with a very um, sensible, I could say, main character of our story, and in, in obviously Jesus, but then also Jarius as well. The story, as we continue to read, it begins about Jarius. It becomes about this woman, which is interesting, and we're going to kind of dig into that. But I want to talk about the four main characters in this story as we start to dig into it. The first main character is Jesus, the Son of God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. 
Jesus. We love Jesus. He's, a, he's, the main, he's the main character in this story. The second one is Jarius. We've talked about him briefly already. Already, He's a prominent man in the town, both politically, religiously. Jarius is a big deal. So everybody would know him, especially the people in this crowd. They've seen him at church. They've seen him around. Um, if it were today, he would have been on CNN and the whole deal. They would have known who Jarius was. And Jarius has a dying daughter. Jarius needs help. Our third main character is the crowd. There's a crowd that seems to be mingling and everywhere you turn in this story. There's a crowd when Jesus gets off the boat. There's a crowd when Jairus comes to Jesus. There's a crowd that the woman, there's always a, seems to be this crowd and is actually a significant character in the story. Fourth, we learn about this uh, woman. We get a little bit of background of this woman in verses 25 and 26. I want to take you to these verses because there's some social and cultural context that is really important for understanding this woman, and I believe for understanding what God wants to speak to us this morning through his word in this story. Verse 25, uh, so we've, we've met Jesus. Everybody, we're, we're good with Jesus. We've met Jairus. He makes a lot of sense that he's in the story. Um, we get Jesus' name. We get Jairus' name. But then all of a sudden, verse 25, and there was a woman. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but had rather grown worse. Who is this woman? The first thing that we need to know, and really the, the whole general theme of this woman is that she is the exact opposite in every way of Jarius. In every way that Jarius has it going for him, she has it going against her. Every reason that gives Jarius or everything that gives Jairus a reason to be noticed by Jesus is a reason against this woman to be noticed by Jesus. First and foremost, she's a woman, which in this culture and in this time was a, uh, basically just a massive strike against her. In many ways, she would have been considered uh, sort of on the same level of property. I mean, high value property, but still property. I mean, it's not encouraging. Even if you're worth a million bucks, it's like, well, I'm only worth a million bucks? I mean, come on, you know? So this woman is, is seen as essentially as property value because, you know, when, when a ma uh, family would have a child in these days, if they had a son, then the son could carry on the family name. He could inherit the family business. He could do all kinds of things to add value to the family. A little girl being born at this time was not seen as being able to add a lot of value outside of getting married. Because when a woman would get married, a man would offer what was called a bride price. And, and the, the point was to communicate value. It seems a little funky now, but it was trying to say, I, I'm, I'm paying a costly price to have you. Which, you know, just choose to think about that in a sweet way, right? You know? Um, so that, that's where, that's where the, the value of, of a woman would come and her ability to essentially bring a bride price later on in life for her father that would be paid to her father and there'd be an exchange and all that kind of stuff. Are we, are we doing all right? Okay, cool. So there's this woman and, and that's where she gets her value. But the thing that we know about this woman is that she has this issue. She has this disease, this female struggle of a discharge of blood. And it's called an issue. It's called a disease. There's something going on that is uh, significantly handicapping this woman. Not only is this a disease, but because it's a blood type of thing, especially for a woman under the law, the religious law, she'd be considered unclean. It means she can't go to church, she can't be seen, she can't be touched. If she touched anybody or anything, that thing or person would also immediately become unclean, which would mean that person would have to go through all of these ritualistic cleansings and all, I mean, wow, inconvenient. Basically, she's untouchable, she's pushed to the side. To be unclean is to be an absolute outcast. Pigs were unclean, and now this woman's unclean. 
Not only does she have a disease, not only is she sick, not only is she unclean, but this disease seems to clearly indicate to us that she's barren. To be barren ruined any and all chances of having value as a woman. Who would want to marry her who can't give children? So the one hope that she had of holding some sort of value in life had been taken from her by this disease. Society sees her as worthless. Her family sees her as worthless. She's sick. She's bleeding. She's alone. She's outcast. This woman is having a rough go. She's had this issue for 12 years, which if it's been going on for 12 years, this specific issue, at best, she's mid-20s, which is already honestly pretty late for that culture to get married anyways. So she either has no chance of ever getting married or she was married and probably got divorced because of this issue. And no one would have thought, second, thought a second thing about it with her husband. It would have been understood. I mean, she's been completely abandoned and she has no hope. She's been taken advantage of by those that she has trusted to care for her. The physicians, it says she has suffered much under many physicians. I mean, you go to the one, pe the one group of people you think that'll help you, she gets taken advantage of. She's broke. It says that she spent all that she had, anything she could have had left. Maybe her husband felt bad enough for her and left her a little bit of money, but it's gone now. She's got nothing. She's outcast. She's sick. She's barren. She has no hope and she's broke. And if that's not enough, Things have just gotten worse. The pain, the pain, the years, it hasn't gotten better. It's just gotten worse. So this woman is the complete opposite of Jairus. And yet we see the story in the text completely interrupted and frankly hijacked from this significant man that we ought to be talking about to now talking about this woman that nobody wants to hear about. Our story starts with this rich, prominent man and ends us up with a broken outcast woman. So this is this woman that we're talking about. I want you to read with me verses uh, 20 and starting in verse 27. I want to read again just what happens to this woman. We just read it, but we're going to read a few verses here again. Verse 27, it says, she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Lost my place. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power that had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around. Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This sick, poor, outcast, nameless woman in a complete, absolute act of desperation leaves her home she shouldn't leave, pushes through a crowd she shouldn't be in, and touches a man she shouldn't be touching, and she gets healed. This is an incredible story, especially when you start taking in the social context of what's happening. She grabs Jesus's garments. He says nothing to her, and she is immediately healed. And in these short verses, I believe that this woman reveals to us what I believe is one of the most significant, radical, and I think maybe the most appropriate word would be scandalous truths in the Bible. And I want you to make sure that we get it this morning. If there is one thing that you hear this morning, if there's one thing that you could walk out of here believing, if you walk out now, if you check out now, that's fine, but just write this down. I want you to know this truth that you can touch God. It's scandalous. You can touch God. 
you're allowed to reach out and touch Jesus. You're allowed to. You're allowed to. It's okay. You know, this story, it happened at a time where not only was this woman outcast, but all that people knew about getting close to God was that, um, in short, there was one chosen person, the one high priest of the one chosen nation on planet who could go into the presence of God, this place in the temple, one time a year after doing the appropriate ritualistic cleansing, I mean, for days and days. I mean, it was a buildup for this one guy to go into the presence of God. And at that point, they still tied a rope around his ankle just in case God struck him dead. They could pull him back out. That's all they knew about God at this point. That's what they knew about how to approach God. And I think that so many times, this is how we even perceive God. We see God as, as, as far off, as, as distant. We see him as unapproachable. We see him as too holy for me. And he's probably really angry anyways, so we probably just shouldn't get too close. I mean, I've screwed up. He's really holy. I mean, yeah, we love each other, but let's just keep our distance a little bit, right? I won't get too close. You won't get too mad. And we just kind of walk this dance of like, yeah, praise the Lord. He's not too angry at me today. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I think that's how we can approach God way, way, way too often. But in a single moment, an outcast, unclean woman breaks every single rule that God had ever given about approaching him. Every single rule that could be broken, she broke. And she reaches out and she touches God. And not only does she live, like she doesn't get struck down. Not only does she live, but uh, Jesus doesn't turn around and uh, tell everybody to stone her. Jesus doesn't turn around and stone her himself. Jesus turns around, and before he's even spoken, she gets everything that she came for. This is outrageous. This is outrageous. What does this mean for us, for this woman, unclean, outcast, to touch God? She reached out and she touched him and it changed everything. And if this is true, if this story is true, if somebody didn't make this up to write a book so that we could have a nice religious organization, if somebody wrote this book named God to communicate to us who he is, what he is like, and how we can relate to him, if this is true, this changes everything. Because if an un un outcast, unclean, dying woman can touch God, you can too. If she can do it, you can too. Why? Because you are the woman. I am the woman. We are this woman. If she can do it, I can do it. Because we're no different. We're no different. 12 years she's had this disease. It wasn't anything that was big that was killing her. She didn't go to the doctor and walk out with a diagnosis. Wow, we didn't see it coming. You've got you know, stage four cancer. You've got a week to live. It's just this thing that's been going on for 12 years. What was killing her wasn't um, kind of a, a big hit. It was a slow leak. It was a slow leak. And it's, you know, it's like if you're ever in your car, sometimes you walk out and you realize you have a flat tire and you're like, where did that come from? You know, sometimes it's not always the pothole that blows out your tire. It's like just that little nail it gets kind of lodged in there. You don't know it's there. You don't see it, but it just creates a slow leak. And all of a sudden, you can't go anywhere. You're dead in the water. It creates a slow leak. But over the course of these 12 years, at some point, this woman has realized that this thing that maybe is described as an issue or maybe is described as a problem isn't just simply a problem. She realizes, this is killing me. 
This is killing me, and I have nowhere else to go. I am absolutely desperate. I think sometimes that's how we talk about our slow leaks. Oh, we, I, yeah, I just got my issues, you know, it's whatever. Oh, I kind of got my junk. We put some Christian lingo on it. You know, I've, I got my, uh, my unspoken. What you're saying is you've got a slow leak, and what you're saying is you haven't realized that the slow leak is killing you. It's your slow leak that's going to kill you. And we got to get desperate. You know, we say things, big sweeping statements about like the really bad people, you know, like, well, I'm not cheating on my spouse. Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, I'm not a heroin addict. Well, I'm not, ah, I'm not like them over there. It's not that bad. I'm doing all right. No, getting in a car accident, but you got a slow leak. Because you got a slow leak. Maybe you haven't done those things. Maybe you have done those things. I don't know, but maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But all I know is that your slow leaks are something you're trying to take care of yourself and it's not stopping. You've talked to everybody about it or talked to nobody about it and it's just getting worse. You sort of, we live these lives sometimes spiritually, especially like if you're a Christian in church, you think you should just have it all together immediately. And so we live our lives just kind of like poking our fingers in the dam, right? So you're like, oh, I'll just kind of stop that leak right there, put a Band-Aid on it and spewing out a little bit, but I think we'll be all right. The flood's going to stay back. You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that a kid's book or something? I don't know. Somebody tell me you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's these things in our lives that are slow leaks. It's not the gaping holes, but you've got a few slow leaks. You know, like your marriage, you're not cheating on anybody, but um, you used to be so in love, but all of a sudden it's been a few weeks or a few months or 12 years, and now you just kind of look at your phone and watch TV at night and wonder, where'd all the chemistry go? This is a slow leak. What, nothing happened. Just where, where, where did it go? You used to be so confident, and you used to, be, used to be content in who you were, but just, you know, a slow leak of an intake of this magazine and, and that TV show that all it does is tell me who I'm not and what I don't have, and all of a sudden I'm so insecure and I'm so anxious. I didn't used to be like this. But it's like this anxiety is killing me. Where did it even, where did it even come from? You used to have great friends, but it's just, you know, a little bit of gossip started slipping in, a little bit of sarcasm a little bit of negativity, and all of a sudden you look up one day, I, where did all my friends go? Just the tire's flat all of a sudden. But it's the slow leaks. It's the slow leaks. It's the extra pills that you sneak. It's the extra money that you take off the top. It's the extra thing you have to buy. It's the phone number you haven't deleted out of your phone. It's the slow leaks. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. We got some slow leaks it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but what this woman realizes, what you need to realize is that whether you think it's a slow leak or not, you're bleeding and it's killing you. It might be not losing a lot of blood, but it's losing blood. And at some point you run out. It's the slow leaks that are killing us. And I want you to hear this morning that on the day that you wake up and realize the blood is running out and there's nowhere else for you to go, there is hope in the name of Jesus. It might not even be this morning. You might even be listening to this and be like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I got it. I'm good. Nobody even knows. You're going to wake up some morning. The tires are all going to be flat. You're not going to know where to go. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It might be 12 years from now, but you remember this moment. It's Jesus. His name is Jesus. You can touch God. That's your hope. 
this is our hope that Jesus has made himself available to us. I don't know what you believe or what you've always been told, but somehow, in, especially like just in the world, there's like, and, and even in the church, there's this like theology that God's too holy to get around my sin. If you read this, Jesus missed that memo. Big time. Apparently, Jesus didn't get the theological box where he's too holy to handle your sin. That God's so holy that I can't even get around him because he's just so angry. Maybe it's just we got to reach out and touch. He's available. He came to be with you in your brokenness. You can touch God. Jesus didn't get that memo. Now, God is absolutely to be revered and, and to be held in the highest awe, but it is because of that truth that we must know that he alone is our hope. He alone is the one who can cleanse us. We've got to come to him. We've got to be like this woman. Sometimes it says that she heard of Jesus. And we've talked about a sound. You've, you've heard God calling you. You've heard your friends talk about what Jesus has done in their life. You've seen some, you've heard of this Jesus. And like this woman, she saw Jesus was passing by. You've seen him. You've seen him in your life. There's that situation that you just can't get away from and you can't explain. That had to have been God. I didn't believe in God, but that was God. You've heard him and you have seen him, but it is time to reach out and to touch him. He shows himself in his grace. He speaks in his grace. He, he lets you see him, but in your desperation, reach out and touch him. You can touch him. Write this down if you haven't written it down already. This is point number one all the way here towards the end of our sermon here, and it is this. I am allowed to touch God. I am allowed to touch God. I'm allowed to touch God. This will change your life. And the Christian walk is this. It is exploring the meaning of this truth. What does it mean that I can touch Jesus? There's a touch that happens from this woman and it changes everything. She touches Jesus. Number one, everything changes when God touches or when you touch God. There's another touch going on in this story. Uh, there's actually, I, I think it's really worth, worth talking about. When we talk about a touch, we've got to understand that um, it wasn't just the woman's touch that, that drew the, the power of God and stopped Jesus in his tracks and turned him around. It, it, and there, there's something about this woman's touch that stopped Jesus that the crowd's touch didn't. It says they're pressing in and they're pushing all around him. Jesus stops. He says, who touched me? And the disciples say, well, look, everybody's bumping into you. And Jesus says, no, who touched me? If you look um, in, in the Greek words here, every time that, the, that the, the touch of the woman is mentioned by her or by Jesus, it's this word that means to grasp, to fasten to, to cling. The words talking about the crowd, it's a hustle and a bustle and a bump. I think sometimes we find ourselves in the crowd where we wanna, we wanna walk around and kind of bump shoulders with Jesus. We see Jerry is be desperate, but I'll go along because I want to see what's going to happen here. We just have this curiosity in the midst of a crowd full of curiosity, a woman full of desperation actually got what she needed. Think about how, what all the crowd must have been thinking. I'm sure a handful of them needed miracles and they were probably all a lot more qualified. It says that the woman comes to Jesus and tells him the whole truth. This is who I am. I've been broken. I've been unclean. I've been bleeding for 12 years. And all of a sudden, if the people who bumped into her didn't realize it yet, they realized it then. Oh, man. Now I got to go do all these things. How inconsiderate. 
It's the desperate people that annoy us, huh? They're always jumping up and down too much in church, raising their hands too much, talking about Jesus all the time. It's always the people that, it's, they inconvenience us, the desperate people inconvenience us, but it's in the desperation that you get your breakthrough. How many people are looking at this woman saying, well, that's what I needed and I'm way more qualified. Yes, but you weren't desperate. You wanted to rub shoulders, but I'm telling you, your life of rubbing shoulders with Jesus is only gonna take you so far. Coming to church, your good moral behavior, don't drink and smoke and cuss and hang out with those who do. It's not, gonna, it's not gonna take you very far. You may rub up against Jesus, but you're only gonna get the touch that changes everything when you reach out to him. Because he's available, he's come. When God wanted to manifest himself to all of creation to show in the ultimate splendor, this is who I am. He did not come as an angel. He did not come as a flying light in the sky. He came as a man who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, who hung out with sinners and prostitutes and drunkards and drug dealers and tax collectors and thieves. He couldn't be more available. And he didn't, why isn't, I'm going to, why am I not getting there? Everybody around me is getting what they need, but I'm like, I'm here. I'm like doing pretty good too. Are you willing to let it cost you? I don't even get it honestly, completely. But Jesus has sold himself out for you and this woman got so desperate that she was willing to sell herself out as well. It's getting lost in the crowd that's so dangerous. Are you bumping up against them? Are you clinging to Jesus? Cling to Jesus. When the woman clung to Jesus, it worked. <laughs> She was instantly healed. Jesus stops, he turns around, he begins to survey the crowd. Something about this clinging that Jesus felt, he knew that whoever has clung to me, I'm gonna be able to pick them out in the midst of a crowd. Some of you have seen somebody get touched and changed by the power of God and you got offended by it. What, you think you're all good now? No, he just got changed. Why, because you're so, oh no, I just clung to Jesus. She tells Jesus the whole story and we look in verse uh, 32 or 33 and 34. We've been talking about this every week in this series that when you see an end to your sentence, God speaks an end to your story. The woman comes with fear and trembling. She throws herself down before Jesus and tells him the whole truth, period, because this is the end. She's like, I got healed, but I'm also about to get killed. But the next word, and. Jesus said to her. It's in your moment of fear where you don't know what Jesus is gonna do, where he's gonna speak the thing that you've always needed. He turns to her, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. You came to me broken. You came to me outcast, maligned, forgotten, pushed aside, but I call you faithful. The one in the crowd full of faith, I see you. I see you go in peace, be peaceful. I call you daughter in the midst of everybody who's forgotten you. And Jesus says, now go and be healed of your disease. I think this is fascinating that Jesus would say, go be healed of a disease she's already healed from. You ever notice that? It says immediately she was healed, but then Jesus says, go be healed. Something about this miracle, Jesus never made the conscious choice to heal this woman, she did. What does that say about faith? I don't even know, I can't even go into that right now. That's like challenging me. <laughs> Apparently my faith can get stuff. 
But anyways, we're not talking about that. He looks at her and he says, okay, now go be healed. And I think some of us need to hear this. You've had an encounter with Jesus, but you're waiting for him to do something more. And he's saying, no, I've healed you, so just go be healed. Don't go back to the doctors who are telling you how sick you are. Don't go back to the people who tried to forget you and push you aside. Don't get back, go back to the culture that tries to tell you you're worthless. Don't go back to all these fears that are telling you about how sick you are. Go and be healed. When you get healed, you gotta walk in the power and then the choice to walk healed. Some of you got an encounter and you're wondering, well, why is it still so hard? Well, we still gotta walk it out. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose hope about, well, I need another breakthrough. No, you don't. We're just learning how to walk out the one we've got because there's power. There's power. Something about being healed after you get healed. I can't even fully explain it, but there's something there. Number one, you can touch God. We're gonna pick up the story here as we wrap up in the next few minutes. Verse 35 and 36, it says, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, there came from the ruler's house, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. There's just something I wanna hit before we jump to the end of the story here. Can you imagine being Jairus in this story? He's saying, my daughter is dying. I need you to come now. And Jesus comes. But all of a sudden, the crowd stops. Jesus stops. We're wasting time with this lady. One, she shouldn't be touching you anyways. Two, she got healed. Lost him. Let's go. Can we celebrate and move on? My daughter's dying. And then he watches this woman get the exact breakthrough he's waiting for. And then somebody comes and basically says, because Jesus was taking his time, your daughter's died. He gave the breakthrough to somebody else. Can you imagine? What, what, and, and now, not only did somebody else get the breakthrough he's waiting for, but it got worse. His desperate situation just got more desperate. He's angry, he's hurt, he's grieving. He's probably confused, the, the emotions in the moment. And Jesus does something amazing that we have to catch. He looks, he, hear, he sees that Jesus sees the servant come and say, your daughter's dead, but Jesus doesn't look to the servant. He doesn't look to the crowd. He doesn't look to anybody else. He looks to Jerry, so he says, don't fear. What are you gonna do right now? Here's your choice. Believe believe. Will you stick with me? And I think we gotta, we gotta come to that place so many times in our life. Is That thing we were hoping for is dead. Gee, God took too long. He didn't come through again. Somebody else got it, but I didn't get it. Are you gonna get bitter? Are you gonna, come on now. I'm here, Jarius, stick with me. Will you believe? Will you believe? I think that's the question for you, and there's somebody in here this morning needs to believe again. Because what happens? They go to the house where the daughter is dead. They walk into the room. And what does Jesus do? He touches her. He touches her by the hand and says, live. He puts life back into a dead place. And that's what Jesus does. He raises the dead. This is who our God is. There's some of you that need to know that you can believe in a God that resurrects. You need to believe, you can believe in a God that resurrects. He touched her. He touched her. Number one point for this morning is that you can touch God. And number two, God can touch you. God can touch you. You're not too far gone. Your situation's not too dead. You're not too hopeless. You're not too broken. You're not too bad. You haven't been away from church for too long. You haven't. God can touch you. 
Will you believe? Will you hold on? Will you believe? The last thing I want to say here at the very end comes out of verse 43. Why don't you go ahead and just stand up as we wrap this up. Verse 43, it says this. It says, he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. I've always thought that that little clause is so funny. Like, oh, is Jesus just a nice guy? Like, ah, yeah, he's been dead for a few hours, probably hungry. I, I don't know, what's that all about? But I realized that, that I think that there's some breakthroughs in your life that you need to just go be, and there's some breakthroughs that you need to feed. It's... Jesus has, has, tried to break, has tried to raise something from the dead maybe in your life, but you're wondering, well, where did that thing go? Well, did you feed it? You've got to feed what God puts inside of you. Sometimes I think we're just waiting for God, like, well, I got this anger problem, and if God would set me free, uh, then I wouldn't be angry anymore. What we're really asking for is, God, will you just kill everybody in my life who makes me angry? This would be a whole lot easier. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if, I'd be a whole lot more patient if people weren't so annoying, right? Or whatever it is, you know, we've got all these situations. We're waiting on God to change our circumstances when he raises the dead in our hearts. Now it's time to feed it. We say, well, I get so discouraged. Well, I thought I had this beat. No, Jesus has it beat. You're just learning how to do it. Now feed it. Get around the people who will encourage you. Go to life group. Share with people. I've got this life, but now I don't know how to feed it. You know what I'm saying? We gotta feed the breakthrough. And sometimes we just gotta, sometimes you just gotta walk out and be like, no, you know what, this sucker's done. I'm gonna be this person. And sometimes it's just like, I'm gonna have to learn how to feed this thing. I'm gonna learn how to feed it. You gotta get around the people of God. You gotta spend time with Jesus. You gotta get to know him. I heard somebody say recently, it's so easy to get frustrated when we thought God was gonna give us a breakthrough, uh, but now why am I still tempted or whatever? He said, give Jesus at least as much time as you gave the devil before you get frustrated. I thought, man, that's a good way to put that. Don't expect something to live in your life that you're not feeding. You wouldn't expect it for you. So be faithful to feed. So we're gonna worship as we close uh, this morning, wrapping up, talking about a touch. And as we close our services, we like to be a people who respond to the word of God, not just hear the word of God. And so we're gonna worship one more song. And it's, it's a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And I, I think it's a beautiful song. And I love that invitation. Like we said, God is such a God of invitation. He just wants to invite you to come up and get what you need. And so you might be in a few different camps this morning. You might be somebody who you're realizing, yeah, I, I, I've got this sickness. I, I can't take care of what's going on. I, my slow leaks are killing me. And you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to cling to him this morning in desperation, not because he's gonna fix your life, but because he's the king of kings and he's your only hope. You need to give your life to Jesus this morning. Some of you, it's... There's, there's been breakthroughs that you've gotten before, but you're wondering, they kind of fell by the wayside. It even kind of goes along with what God was saying earlier about maybe your heart's grown cold when it used to be really hot. And it's just, God wants to encourage you this morning. No, you can go. Go be who I made you to be. Don't put your head down. I'm still with you. I've still got you. Go in peace. Just go be. Go be. And some of you need to make a commitment. I need to start feeding that thing. I need to stop feeding what's killing me and start feeding what's giving me life, right? So there's a few different ways to respond. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you just need to reach out and touch him. And maybe you need him to touch you. I don't know how it works. I don't know always which one, which fits in what category, but I know it works when we're desperate. So what we're gonna do this morning is, as, uh, as we sing, is I just wanna invite you to come up to the front. Nobody's up here to pray. We may have our ministry teams come over, but 
just want to invite you to come up if you need a touch from Jesus. Come up to the front. If you need to touch Jesus, you need to cling to him in desperation. You need him to come and touch you. As we worship and even as I pray right now, I just want you to go ahead and start moving and come up to the front. If you're the one in the crowd like the woman, you're still gonna get what you need. If there's one, come on, there you go. If you're desperate this morning for a touch, you can get what you need in Jesus. And I'm sing this song, just let the Holy Spirit begin to speak. Come up whenever you want to. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the God who can be touched and you're the God who touches us. That I pray that you would give us desperation in our hearts, faith in our hearts, to reach out and get what we need from only you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and do a mighty work in these final few minutes in Jesus' name.